0: Hello everyone, it's Gayatri Das, your host to Bhakti Yoga, the art and science of love. So glad to have you back and appreciate your listening. Please invite your friends to come and join in as well. So our conversation continues about love. It's been said there's only one true happiness in this life and that is to be loved, loved, and to be loved. So being deeply loved by someone gives you strength. While loving someone deeply gives you courage. We are most alive when we are experiencing love. So love is the actual reason for life. And there are literally thousands of quotes about love. But most of the love that the world is concerned with is actually love that is based in a mundane relationship of two material bodies. And many times we see that love has to be something that's based on a physical attraction. Now we know that physical attractions do change and we can see that in the divorce rate fairly easily also we can also see that people who are attracted on a superficial level are constantly changing partners somehow or another they're thinking that the shape of the new partner or the color of their hair or their eyes, the way they walk, the way they talk, or some mental state will bring them true happiness. The fact of the matter is, is these things are all based in a temporary situation that is constantly changing. And in the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Sanskrit text we'll be studying, today, it is stated that as a person gives up old garments accepting new ones, so the soul accepts new material bodies giving up the old and useless ones. So if we know that our bodies are temporary, that the pleasures that we experience of the senses in the material world are temporary, then our Consciousness and our intelligence should direct us towards that eternal part and parcel of the Supreme which exists in every heart. That's the only thing that we can count on to remain with us after the body is no longer of any use. So at time of death, The body cannot sustain the soul, and the soul passes away. It leaves the body. And the intelligence, the mind, and the ego, which are the subtle body, travels with a soul into the womb from the father of a new mother based on our karma. Now all of this is described in great detail in the Vedic literatures which we will be studying shortly. The concept is is knowing this changes everything. No longer is the purpose of our life just to eat, sleep, mate or defend. Even the animals or even the insect life is doing these functions. True happiness can never be derived from stimulating the material body's senses. Can anyone say, oh I've eaten? And now I'm completely satisfied eternally. No. Or I've had sex life and having it once now I'm eternally satisfied. No. So the point is is that you could stimulate your senses thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of times or even millions of times after life after life after life after life in various bodies. Which are built around the soul for the sake of sense gratification, and one will never be satisfied. This is the conclusion of the Vedic literatures. So, if love is something that is eternal, And based in a spiritual life, shouldn't we actually know what that is? Shouldn't we make a study of that? Shouldn't we consider that to be the most important one singular function of every human life? Of course we should and that is what the Vedic literatures are all about. So today we're going to be studying some of these things together and what we'd like to do uh, even though we'll skip around a little bit we want to be very careful to uh, start out with one verse that I think kind of describes the whole thing and at this time what I'd like to do is read this Sanskrit which is thousands of years old and. I'll give you the word-for-word word translation and then the actual English translation and in a purport by Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the foremost scholar of the Vedic literatures and about 50 years ago was kind enough to not only translate the Bhagavad Gita, the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Upanishad so many different wonderful works from the Vedic literature from thousands of years ago into English, actually came here as an Acharya in 1965 and started the Hare Krishna movement. Hare Krishna is a name for God. Hare indicates the energy of God and Krishna indicates the energetic. Krishna literally means the most attractive personality. That person who is the most beautiful, that person who is the most wealthy, that person who is the most wise, that person Who is the most famous, and yet the most renounced, humble, not attached, not conceited. That is the person whom we all look at as the ideal or the idol. We find so many idols in the material world uh, who are temporary, their fame is fleeting, their fortune is fleeting, their beauty is of course fleeting. Their wealth is fleeting. And so for some period of time, we may find them as ideal persons for us to try to fashion ourselves after. But after a while, we're disgusted with that. And then we move on to the next temporary idol. Well, this is not about that. This is about that person whom no one can be equal to nor greater than. That person who has all of these attributes in full of which no one can be equal to nor uh, uh, superior to in any possible way. That is the person whom we want to love. That is an eternal person that we have a relationship with. And so the Vedas is all about Knowledge that brings us to the point of love, that brings us to the point of realization of who we are and who is the supreme person and what our ultimate relationship is, which is one of love. So, the concept of love is the highest concept of all, but only when it's dovetailed to that which is eternal and spiritual. You know, in the material world, we hear people say, Well, I'll love you forever. But that's not possible, is it? Because that person is destined to die. How will the love continue unless it continues on a spiritual level? So, in this verse, Krishna, who is the speaker of the Bhagavad Gita, describes exactly what that supreme love looks like. So, I'll read this and then we'll go through this a little more carefully. This is the Bhagavad Gita 647, chapter 6, verse 47, in the chapter known as Jnana Yoga. And it describes the condition of eternal spiritual love. Yoginam Pisarvisam Bad Gatinantaratmana Shradhavan Bhajati same-yukto-tamo-mattaha yogi nam of yogis Api also Sarvesham All types of Makatena Abiding in me and always thinking of me Anta-atmana Within himself Shradhavavan In full faith Bhajate Renders transcendental loving service Yaha One who Mam to me, the Supreme Lord, Saha He may by me. Yuktatamaha. Yuktatamaha, the greatest yogi, Mataha is considered. And of all yogis, the one with great faith, who always abides in me, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendental loving service to me. He is the most intimately united with me in yoga and is the highest of all. That is my opinion. We mentioned this in episode two, and now we'll discuss the purport, which is Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada's elaboration on the meaning of this translation. Purport. The word budgete is significant here. Budgete has its roots in the verb budge, which is used when there is need of service. The English word worship cannot be used in the same sense as budge. Worship means to adore or to show respect and honor to the worthy one. But service with love and faith is especially meant for the Supreme Person, the Personality of Godhead. One can avoid worshiping a respectful man or a demigod and may be called discourteous, but one cannot avoid serving the Supreme Lord without being thoroughly condemned. Every living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Person, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and thus every living entity is intended to serve the Supreme Lord by his own constitution. Failing to do this he falls down. The Srimad Bhagavatam 11.5.3 confirms this as follows. Anyone who does not render service and neglects his duty unto the primeval Lord, who is the source of all living entities, will certainly fall down from his constitutional position. In this verse also, the word bhajante is used. Therefore, bhajanti is applicable to to the Supreme Lord only, whereas the word worship can be applied to demigods or to any other common living entity. The word avajananti used in this verse of Srimad Bhagavatam is also found in the Bhagavad Gita. Avajananti-mangmudha, Only the fools and rascals deride the Supreme Personality of Godhead Lord Krishna. Such fools take it upon themselves to write commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita without an attitude of service to the Lord. Consequently, they cannot properly distinguish between the word bhajanti and the word worship. The culmination of all kinds of yoga practices lies in bhakti yoga. All other yogas are but means to come to the point of bhakti. In bhakti yoga, transcendental love for the Supreme Person. Yoga actually means bhakti yoga. All other yogas are progressions towards the destination of bhakti yoga. From the beginning of karma yoga to the end of bhakti yoga is a long way to self-realization. Karma yoga, without fruitive results, Is the beginning of this path. When Karma Yoga increases in knowledge and renunciation, this stage is called Jnana Yoga. When Jnana Yoga increases in meditation on the super soul by different physical processes and the mind is fixed upon him, it is called Ashtanga Yoga. And when one surpasses the Ashtanga Yoga system and comes to the point of the Supreme Personality Godhead Krishna it is then called bhakti yoga, or the culmination. Factually, bhakti yoga is the ultimate goal, but to analyze bhakti yoga minutely, one has to understand these other yogas. The yogi who is progressive is therefore on the true path of eternal good fortune. One who sticks to a particular point and does not make further progress is called by that particular name, karma yoga or yogi, Kyana yogi, jnana yogi, raja yogi, hatha yogi, etc. If one is fortunate enough to come to the point of bhakti yoga, it is to be understood that he has surpassed all other yogas. Therefore, to become Krishna conscious is the highest stage of yoga. Just as when we speak of the Himalayan, we refer to the world's highest mountain, of which the highest peak Mount Everest is considered to be the culmination. It is by great fortune that one comes to the Krishna consciousness on the path of Bhakti Yoga to become well situated according to the Vedic direction. The ideal yogi concentrates his attention on Krishna who is called Shamasundara, who is as beautifully colored as a cloud, whose lotus-like face is as effulgent as the sun, whose dress is brilliant with jewels, and whose body is flower garland. Illuminating all sides is his gorgeous luster, which is called the Brahma Jyoti. He incarnates in different forms such as Rama, Nasringa, Baraha, Krishna, etc., the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and he descends like a human being to the son of Mother Yasoda, and he is known as Krishna, Govinda, and Vasudeva. He is the perfect child, the perfect husband, Friend and master, and he is full with all opulences and transcendental qualities. If one remains fully conscious of these features of the Lord, he is known as the highest yogi. Only into those great souls who have implicit faith in both the Lord and the spiritual master are all the imports of Vedic knowledge automatically revealed. This is from Svetasvara Upanishad 6.23. Bhakti means devotional service to the Lord which is free from desire for material profit either in this life or the next. Devoid of such inclinations, one should fully absorb the mind and the supreme. That is the purpose of Naishkarmya. That's from the Gopala to Pani Upanishad 115. These are some of the means for performance of bhakti or Krishna consciousness the highest perfectional stage of the yoga system. So trying to understand the meaning of what we just read and to make a synopsis of these points, all other yoga systems are designed to transcend the soul back to home, back to Godhead, back to the spiritual world, beyond the world of birth and death, old age and disease. No one can be happy in the material world eternally. Everyone in the material world ultimately comes to suffering. As a matter of fact, it's been said that happiness is just a temporary cessation of misery. Eating food and enjoying luxurious foods is a temporary cessation of hunger. One can overeat and then one suffers through gluttony and can become diseased in so many different ways. The urges of the senses are like fire and they burn us. So when we uh, apply the object of the sense, to the sense, to the senses itself, it temporarily seems to satisfy the fire, but soon the fire is blazing again. So this fire is considered to be like lust. Lust is the all-devouring enemy of the world. What happens is, is people, to achieve gratification of the senses, Would do almost anything. We're addicted to this gratifying of the senses. Uh, People in this world today will kill for $20 just to get a fix. That fix may be a drug, it may be alcohol, it may be their addiction to food, their addiction to sex life, their addiction to fame, their addiction to profit adoration. They want to become distinctive in the world, maybe in academia. So these are addictions and they spend their whole life trying to achieve these things only to lose it all at the time of death. This is foolishness. If one dovetails all of their propensities and offers everything back to the Lord, then they then do not develop karmic reaction in the world but instead are transferred at the time of death back to the spiritual world where one can actually truly fulfill all of their desires for enjoyment in association with the Supreme Lord and the Lord's associates. So this is the, the version of the Vedas. This is the, the basic summary of the text that we're reading now and then we will add to this text as we go forward in the future and we will discuss the various ways that we can become self-realized, that we can practice love. If we don't love today, it's because we've been misinformed and conditioned in a world that is not demonstrating love to us. So therefore we've become skewed by these things and we have to purify our hearts and our minds and our consciousness by practicing sadhana bhakti. Sadhana is the practice of love. If we practice love long enough, then we'll come to a stage of spontaneous love called raganuga bhakti. So this is the idea of the Vedas: that everything that we do, every act that we perform, should be offered to the Supreme Lord as a sacrifice. That is will bring us to a stage of love. After all, if everything we see, everything we touch, everything we sense, everything we taste, the energy that we're assimilating in our body from these varieties of unlimited foodstuffs, whatever we have, whatever intelligence we have, the the, the the light of the sun and the moon, the earth we live in, The fragrances, all of these things are provided to you. No one can say, oh yes, I've created these things. What man could actually boast that he's created any of these things? These things were here when you were born. They'll be here when you leave this body. They're provided by the Supreme Personality. This is discussed in the Bhagavad Gita, that he is the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from him. The wise who know this surrender to the Lord and worship the Lord with all their hearts in love and in devotional service. So these are the topics that we want to discuss and I'm very happy that you are here with us to discuss these things. We'll be posting a way for you to contact us if you have questions and uh, we'll ultimately would like to have live conversations Uh, along the way in the podcast so that we can discuss these issues as they come up. So I'd like to thank you today for listening to the third installment of Bhakti Yoga, The Art and Science of Love. We've studied the verse today in Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 6, Number 47 in Dhyana Yoga, spoken by the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna. And we'll pick it up here in the next episode, and we look forward to seeing you then. Thank you so much for attending, and I am excited to present this course on Bhakti Yoga, the Science of Love.